1: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com weightloss. You're listening to the Searcy Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 112, The Aristocracy of Children. Today's proverb comes from Dostoevsky. I'll read it twice. The soul is healed by being with children. Once more. The soul is healed by being with children. A couple things before we really get started. This is the actual 112th episode of Proverbial. I said that the last episode was the 112. But that was a lie. Today's proverb comes from Dostoevsky, commonly attributed to Dostoevsky, though I could not verify that. I have seen this attributed to Dostoevsky's work, poor folks, but I could not locate it there. Nonetheless, given my limited experience with Dostoevsky, This does sound like his work This does sound like his thought It reminds me of a line That might have occurred In the short story The Heavenly Christmas Tree Which is my favorite of Dostoevsky's work It's short It's four pages long It's a fantasy And it's ...of such a spirit that this quote might have come from it. It doesn't, but uh, they're consistent. It wasn't always so, but I think that this proverb, this idea... ...needs to be defended against accusations of sentimentality. The soul is healed by being with children. I don't think that this proverb is sentimental. I don't think that it's romantic... In the capital R sense of the word And I don't think that you have to believe That children are good And innocent In order to accept this quote You have to acknowledge that children Are different from adults That's enough I think this proverb Just like any proverb Is justified through experience Through the contemplation Of our experiences With children There's often an exchange that takes place whenever somebody says uh, something nice about children. <laughs> There's a certain sort of person that hears quotations about children, where children are sort of described positively in a, in a general sort of way. When somebody says something uh, about children being good or children being pleasant to be around, or something like that. There's this sort of knee-jerk response from a certain sort of person that says, um, you know, you must not have children. If you had children, you wouldn't say that. If you spent time around children, you wouldn't say that the soul is healed by being with children. And as opposed to believing that children are good or innocent Uh, There's a certain sort of person that thinks that children are especially bad And that if you spend time around children, you'll realize that um, they're just as fallen and just as sinful as adults Uh, I think that that's a, a rather cynical response to claims that are made positively about children And I do think that it's possible to believe nice things about children, even after you've had some, even after you've seen children be disobedient, even after you've seen children flail around, uh, you know, at the age of two or three and throw tantrums, Uh, even after you've seen children uh, suddenly possessed by this spirit of selfishness. children who behave almost as though they are possessed by demons, shrieking and screaming in public places, flailing about. I think it's possible to see all of that and to still judge children positively. (laughs) I have two children. My children are um, no longer little children. Um, They're 11 and 13. But they passed through... Stages where they were um, screamers. Uh, I've had to leave public places uh, because my children were flailing around before. Um, So I I only have two children. I don't have tons of children, but I've worked in schools for 17 years, high schools. But uh, I've been around children often. And I still think that there's something to this proverb The soul is healed by being with children I know that children aren't born with angel wings And I've had to discipline my children from a young age But I do think that there's something about children About being near them, spending time with them, observing them that has the capacity of leading to states of self-reflection and memory, which, which in turn lead to fresh resolutions to be or to pursue righteousness. First thing I'll note is that The proverb is not, children heal the soul. That'd be a little bit different. Neither is the proverb, only through being with children is the soul healed. That's not true. If the proverb was, children heal the soul, children would be some sort of mystical sacrament. And I don't think that that's what's behind the proverb. As with all proverbs, the soul is healed by being with children is not a theological or a philosophical claim. All proverbs are summations of experience. So how is it that children, or being with children, heals the soul? Before answering this question, let's let's define children. I'm going to say that children, the sort of child that's being spoken of in this proverb, are pre-adolescent, pre-sexual children. Teenagers aren't children. 12-year-olds aren't children. Uh, not in the sense that being with them will heal the soul. Uh, obviously, an eleven-year-old is, or a twelve-year-old is very much a child in a in a certain sense. But I don't think that eleven-year-olds and twelve-year-olds are the sort of children being referred to as, um, well, the sort of beings that you can be near and enjoy some sort of soul healing power, according to Dostoevsky. The children. This proverb is concerned with are not teenagers, but neither are they newborns or infants. I don't think that being with newborns heals the soul. And I don't want to get hung up on ages here, but I'm comfortable saying that the children referenced in this quote are like between two and nine. And obviously there are children older than nine, but those are not the children being referred to in this quote. The children referred to here can walk, and talk and make decisions. They're capable of discerning various meanings from the same sign. They have intellects well north of animals, but they tend to not be self-aware. I would say that that's true of the sort of child being spoken of in this quote. Children do not have changing bodies, so to speak. Children are human beings that, as they exist prior to the changing body. Children are not capable of having children. And that's important because it's to say that children, as they're referred to in this quote, have no material function. They don't materially benefit anyone. They don't serve an essential and practical purpose. On a material level... They're more trouble to have around than not. That's one of the most striking qualities that children have. You can train them to do things, but they're not really capable of earning their keep. You can give them chores. You have to give them chores. Often enough, little children are happy with chores. They enjoy chores. And I'm not... I'm not going to argue here that children are born sinless. But I think it's undeniable that children have many qualities that bear a striking similarity to the unfallen Adam and Eve. Their delight in work is one of the greatest examples. They're also naked and unashamed like the unfallen Adam and Eve. But the fact that they're happy with chores and that they seek out their parents, I make them like prelapsarian man and woman. Children are worthless, but they're worthless in the sense that beauty is worthless. Children can do chores, but they're far more troubled than they're worth. And in that sense, that's the sense in which I mean that they're worthless. Is that they're not valuable to have around. It's never the case that you want some seven or eight year olds around to get something done. They don't get things done. The worth and value of children is measured spiritually. In the same way that the value of beauty is measured spiritually. Children are valuable for their beauty. Maybe it's better to say that children are valuable for their way of life. The Mona Lisa, worthless. Goldberg Variations, worthless. If we're measuring worth in terms of function. Children don't have a function, though. That's why we let them play. Play, is, play exists for its own sake. You can't trade play up for something else. Think about that for a second. Play is what's valuable for its own sake. What's the value of play? Well, play doesn't have a value beyond mere play. Play exists for itself. And children exist for their own selves, too, in the sense that children are beautiful, which is why it's fitting for children to play. And you, you train children to work, but you really train a seven-year-old to work so that you don't have to train a 14-year-old to work. Like by the time a child's 14, they can perform useful services. A 14-year-old can help keep the home going. A 14-year-old can contribute to the stability of a home. A seven-year-old can't, but if you want a 14-year-old to contribute to the stability of the home, you kind of have to train them before they're capable of contributing to that stability. The beauty that attends youth is largely connected with its uselessness. As with all beautiful things, children don't make life possible. Beauty doesn't make life possible. Beauty makes life good. That's what beauty does. Beautiful things give life meaning. That which makes life possible can't also make it meaningful. After the fall, subject and object are separated. We learn to look at ourselves. Subject and object are united in Jesus, though, because Jesus makes life meaningful. He makes life possible, and he makes life good. There's functional things that make life possible. There's beautiful things that make it meaningful. But only Christ makes life possible and meaningful at the same time. Outside of Christ, the things that make life meaningful and the things that make it possible are separate and distinct. They're brought together in Christ, though. So children are one of those things that make life good. And I know it. This is probably going to sound very strange But there's a sense in that Because children don't do any work They're sort of like aristocrats Aristocrats don't do work either Adults are like common people Children are like aristocrats And when I say children are like aristocrats I mean children are like Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice Mr. Darcy is not a butcher, or a baker, or a candlestick maker. He doesn't do anything that keeps hearts beating. He's a patron of the arts. That's one of his great services. He doesn't make food, he doesn't make clothing, or shelter, or medicine. He exists to live a beautiful life that common people can imitate. He absorbs the surplus of those who do make life possible. That's that's what children do. How does merely being with children heal the soul, though? Heal the soul of what? It's tempting to say that children heal the soul in the same way that beauty heals the soul. Souls ail when they are neglected, And what causes us to neglect our souls, but concerns of the body, either in keeping bodies alive or pleasing bodies. Beautiful things offer some pleasure to the body, but beauty is really the food of the soul. Beauty keeps souls alive. Food is the bounty of the earth. Beauty is the bounty or the overflow of soul. I think that that idea is fairly well traversed though and, and I also think that it calls for a more theological or philosophical argument And that's not really what a proverb needs How, did, how does being with children heal the soul? Well, I think it's hard for people to be around children for very long Without wanting to bless them And I think that's because children are really good at receiving gifts. If you don't give too many gifts to children, a normal child, a a well-regulated child is far more fun to give gifts to than any other well-regulated sort of person. Children receive gifts with simplicity of heart. And that simplicity of heart grows out of the fact that children are completely helpless. When you give a child a gift, a child does not immediately begin calculating the cost of the gift, like an adult. A child doesn't start thinking of, oh, I should have gotten something for you too. Doesn't feel guilty about that. Children accept gifts with ease. They don't feel any embarrassment upon receiving a gift. Everyone else in the world feels, and this is I don't mean for this to sound cynical because I'm a great lover of Christmas. Christmas is a time for giving gifts. But it's really hard for adults to exchange gifts without there being some embarrassment. There's a sort of intimacy to gifts because gifts are meant to tear down walls. There's an intimacy to gifts. Which is, which is embarrassing to adults. But children have no sense of the value of gifts. They're not calculating, they don't say, you shouldn't have, or something dumb like that. Children know that they can't ever repay you, so they not even try. The fact that children receive gifts so well makes them uniquely satisfying to give gifts to. And on top of this, it's also possible to bless children in ways that it's just not possible to bless another adult. An adult can think circles around a child. You can can blow a child's mind pretty easily. You can transcend the imagination of a child with a modicum of effort. When my daughter, Camilla, was maybe seven years old, she was obsessed with Peter Pan. She read the books, she saw the movies, there's a bunch, and she had this little Peter Pan costume that she dressed up in for Literature Day and other days. I don't know where I got this idea from, This was around the time, this was around the time of the Tooth Fairy, of course, seven, seven or eight. I started writing letters to her and signing them Peter Pan. And I would periodically leave these letters on her dresser at night. And she would find them in the same way that you find money from the Tooth Fairy. First time she found one of these letters, she was beside herself with joy. And she wrote back. And we had this exchange of letters, Peter Pan to Camilla, Camilla to Peter Pan. Night after night after night. And sometimes I would go for several nights without writing. And then she would receive a letter. So it wasn't automatic. It was always a bit of surprise. About maybe the seventh or eighth letter that we exchanged. She wrote Peter Pan a letter it said, your handwriting looks a lot like my dad's handwriting. Peter Pan, are you my dad? I had to think about that one. And the answer that I gave would take a long time to explain, though I have attempted to explain it in my book, The 25th, in the portion where I describe giving presents to my children in the guise of St. Nicholas of Myra. I've also written for Circe on The existence of fictional Persons But she said Your handwriting looks a lot like my dad's handwriting Are you my dad? I wrote back And I said yes and no <laughs> At the end of time I will be real Until then Your dad is helping me Be real She was satisfied with this, I kept writing. She's 13 now, and we've spoken a few times over the various fictional persons that have played a role in her life, and my other daughter, Beatrice. And these fictional persons are St. Nicholas, the Tooth Fairy, Peter Pan, And I ask my children, because I personally do not recall such moments from my own childhood. Did you believe the tooth fairy was real? Did you... Did you believe that St. Nicholas gave you those gifts? And the response that they give is always... Well, the times that I've spoken with them about it... um, You know, back when they were like 11 or... 10 or 11. The response that they give is always kind of fascinating. I've asked them several times. I've asked them several times to see if their answers will change over the years as they remember things differently. But the response that they give is this very hazy sort of inability to really recall what they knew and when they knew it. and there was no for any of for either of them in any of the different scenarios which involve fictional persons Tooth Fairy, St. Nicholas Peter Pan there was never a moment where they knew for certain (laughs) there was never a moment where it all became clear to them it was really that The truth of it kind of slowly emerged um, like the way that you like if you were to if you were to put a white tablecloth down over a table that had a, a pool of blue ink on it and the blue ink slowly seeps um, through and becomes visible in that tablecloth and then spreads out. That seems to be how they figured everything out. And they were never upset by it because they figured it out bit by bit by bit. And they could not remember when they knew. There was never any frustration and they never thought that they had been lied to. And this is, you know, this is the way that, that children are. Um, childhood is this Sort of some Process Whereby reality sort of Slowly seeps through into your, into your consciousness And there's a lot of things where it's really hard to tell When you knew what you knew Children tend to not think In Like binary sorts of ways which is why there are some things that you can only teach a child by way of play. And the fact that children are made to play. And that they're not capable of anything beyond play up to a certain point. just confirms the fact that they're completely helpless. That they cannot help you. They cannot help themselves even. And being around people who are helpless... makes you want to be good to spend time around human beings who are utterly helpless and entirely dependent on you. It brings to mind and clarifies for you just how much time you spend on yourself. Being around people that are helpless reminds you how much power you have. How much of that power you use selfishly. I think there's something melancholy about being around children as well. The more time you spend around children, the more you realize how much of your own life has been wasted. You can't be around children without fantasizing about being a child again. Being around children makes you want to relive your life on better terms. And the the desire to be a child again is one of the most ancient and basic mythic human desires there is. It's for this reason that Christ offers us the ability to be born again. That when you think of the purity of life, which Christ offers, Christ offers it in terms of rebirth, becoming a little child again. And anybody who has spent time around children and reflected on the the helplessness of children, knows immediately what, why it is that Christ chose this metaphor for describing salvation. The more time you spend around children, the more it makes perfect sense that the offer of salvation is to be born again.